One announcement for you. Uh, January 29th, we are starting this thing called Element University on Wednesday nights. It's going to run for nine weeks, and it's going to dovetail into what we're starting to talk about at the beginning of this year. Uh, what Element U, for these nine weeks you're going to do, is look at the concept of what the gospel is starting in Genesis uh, through the end of the Old Testament. And what it's going to help you to be able to do is kind of understand, as we talk about the book of Acts, where we're going with this, of how Paul understood those concepts and what he was speaking to people in the midst of his Jewish ideal and the Hebrew heritage that he had, so what he was speaking that out to the people he was in contact with. So it's going to be nine weeks that kind of goes through that, Wednesday nights, uh, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m., and we will even for those nine weeks have a children's program that goes along with that. There you go. No one's excited. Okay. We're, we're actually trying to encourage. You guys are so excited about the, the dance and the business meeting, and I talk about this, and you're like, thank you, Saban. Uh, uh, I have been so busy uh, for the last two months, I haven't even had like a, like a day off, and I started to catch this little thing in my throat. And I'm like, oh, I'll just get right over that. And I was so tired that it didn't go away. It's getting worse. So I'm just going to warn you. Uh, I, I took a decongestant. And I didn't know decongestant is apparently like meth light. And it ramps you up a bit. And so the first service, M- Michael, the guy doing sides, he's like, slow down. <laughs> Second service, he's like, slow down. I'm like, I did slow down. He's like, uh-uh. So I'm talking with my friend's Matt between services, and he goes, you're talking really fast. <laughs> and I'm like, so that's my warning for you. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, I probably should not have said that to you. Uh, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this, and they're a little bit different if you've been here for a while. Uh, on these, what we're trying to do for the first few weeks to see how this works for you is on the notes, we put big idea. And the big idea is kind of what we're going to talk about today. And the questions will flow out of that as if you want to talk to people about these questions this week, reflecting on what we talk about today. But this is the big idea, so you can be listening for it. On the front, you'll get the verses and a couple of the announcements that we talked about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone, and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, and everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? And this is Acts chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. It says, But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who understand the mission that you have called us to, the empowering that we have been given by your Spirit and what that should lead to in our lives in terms of refocusing on the good news of the gospel and how that gives us power to live out in this world in ways that reflect who you are as we call people to understand that you, as our great God, have called people to yourself. And so we would step out and we would speak of great things, of who you are and what you have done by being your hands and feet to the world. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are officially in 2020, and 
you really have no idea what it took to get to the place that we are today and what we're going to cover for the majority of this year. So we're doing this series, we're calling it Acts Part 2, because six years ago, I had decided I was going to take you guys through the book of Acts. And as I started to parcel out and write through it, two years later, we actually started to do that. So four years ago, we taught the Acts Part 1, but it became so long that I stopped in Acts Chapter 12. Acts Chapter 12 is a natural demarcation line, kind of stopping from the original apostles and Peter to where Acts starts to focus on this guy named Paul. And I thought, okay, this is a great place to, to kind of stop and reset, and in a year or something, we'll come back and do the second half of the book of Acts. And then another year went by, and then Element moved, and then other things happened. So it is four years later, and we're finally going to do this thing. I'd actually planned 2020 to do a whole different series. I was going to take you on a Lent journey through the book of Job. We're going to do that next year now. Uh, but I'd written 15 messages towards that. Only eight of them are in Job. Relax. You're going to be fine. Okay. Uh, but, but in that, and two people, uh, one of our elders named Eric and one of my friends named Donald, both said, you should stop leaving things hanging and finish the book of Acts. And so, okay. So after... I was humble enough, after arguing with them for a couple weeks, <laughs> to say, okay, I guess we'll do that. Now, Acts, to give you a heads up, is going to take us almost all of this year to get through the second half of it. It's going to take us all the way until six weeks before Christmas. So if you've got something to look forward to, Christmas. Yeah, always good to come into Christmas. And at, at the end of that, uh, this where we have those six weeks, we're actually going to do seven weeks after that that take us one week past Christmas to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's a natural thing to kind of come out of the book of Acts and talk about who the Spirit is and what He does in our lives because there's a lot of questions that surround that. So that'll be kind of fun when we get there. Acts, I think you'll like it. Acts, a lot of it is a story. And it's a story of the early church and all the steps that it first takes. Sometimes it's exciting. Sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's full of hope. Sometimes you'll see some stupid mistakes that people did and how God's grace covers all of that thing, all those things. Now, today I get an easy and a hard job. It's easy because I'm going to steal from some messages I did in that first part of Acts, but it's hard because i got to take these 34 plus weeks and whittle it down to something that you can step into the next weeks after this with. One of the reasons why we decided we wanted to do the book of Acts, is Element has a lot of people in it who are transitory. Uh, there are military people who are here six months or three years. There are young people who get married and they end up moving somewhere else or they go away to college. And what we wanted to do for part of this is to help you to know what to look for in a church when you went somebody somewhere else. Or maybe I just irritated you when you're saying, I'm out of there, that guy's an idiot, right? So you go somewhere else. But what do you look for in a church? And so we did 34 weeks kind of going back to what that looks like. And I would say wherever you go, you must look for a church that stays as close to the scriptures as possible. A church that has a leadership structure in it that's not perfect, but it sticks close to Jesus as our head shepherd because he is the one who is over the church. It's kind of like a, like a family has parents over it. Well, you look at the Trinity, you've got Father, Son, and Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, and yet the Son and the Spirit submit themselves to the will of the Father. And so a church has a leadership of its pastors, but they're under the leadership of our head shepherd, who is Jesus. And the early church got together when they started, and they prayed, they sought out the scriptures, they were brought together in unity, and a guy named Peter stepped forward to begin to lead them. It's what they needed at the time. They didn't need a committee or 20 plans to vote on all these different things. They needed a leader. And how does Peter start to lead? By trusting in the Holy Spirit and going to the scriptures. And if you go to a place and you have leaders there and you want to know what their vision is, ask them what the gospel is. Ask them who Jesus is and what salvation means 
Because that, what they will tell you when you ask those questions is if they think they have all the answers or if Jesus has all the answers. And Element is a church that we believe Jesus has all the answers. And so we spent 30 plus weeks dealing with this and, and what that looked like in different places. So I'm going to give you not all 34. I'll give you a few of them. We said that you should find a church that has worship that reminds you who Jesus is and what he continues to do in us. That churches, when they speak of worship, it doesn't just mean music, but it means preaching and teaching and listening and praying and loving and living on mission and, yes, singing as well. But there are messages in preaching that begins to change us, that call us into something deeper, that get our focus off of ourselves and on to Jesus and in the scriptures. That there would be a discipleship of some sort that isn't just a bunch of classes that gives you all this head knowledge, but they encourage you to gather together in communities centered around the gospel where you're involved in one another's lives, speaking truth to each other as you push one another to understand the deep ramifications of what Jesus did to rescue us. At Element, we call that gospel communities. Three of you, great. Not doing our job well. Uh, that, but in that, in a gospel community, you would start to live on a mission that challenges us to grow out of our self-centeredness and look beyond us. That the gospel, the good news, is constantly come back to and preached in a way that confronts us with the truth of who Jesus is. That this community would encourage that and want to push one another towards understanding God's good news. And that there would be leadership that cares for you, but doesn't just always say nice things to you. That sometimes says some very hard things. But there would be this deep theology of God's grace and his goodness that informs all that we do. That it is a calling to die to ourselves and live a life that puts Jesus in front of everything. And that we'd be encouraged to scatter in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and speak about the message of God's kingdom. That churches would be a place that practice events like baptism and communion. Things that unify us together around the things that God has done. And we speak words of commitment to each other. And over all of it, grace would be spoken and that we'd have a vision where God gets his glory so his people live in joy and salvation is preached because Jesus' redemption is so much bigger than us and we would understand this redemptive witness is larger than us and we'd submit all of our lives humbly to him. I know you're probably like, you could have just done that. Well, no, uh, th- that was you know, 30 weeks. But that's what we wanted Acts Part 1 to do. I don't know if we accomplished it all, but I got to say, it's good to have goals. It is good to have goals. And so we move on to Acts Part 2. What you'll start to see is how all those things begin to be lived out in the life of the church, especially how that good news starts to be spread. And this comes back to an understanding of what the gospel is and how God leads us as a church, as an entire people, to be as witnesses in the world. Okay, so if you have a Bible, open to Luke chapter 1. And then to Acts chapter 1, both. It'll be right, right there. So if you don't know this, uh, the Gospel is, of Luke is named after this guy, Luke, who wrote it. And Acts is also written by this guy named Luke. And Luke isn't a stupid country bumpkin with an axe to grind. Uh, Luke is a learned man. He is a doctor. And so the book of Luke is like his first volume of what he writes, and Acts is like the sequel. And there's some scholars who think that he wanted to actually write a third volume because of where Acts actually ends, but he was either martyred or something happened that stopped him from doing that. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 starts like this. Inasmuch as I have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, this is referring to Jesus, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now go over to Acts chapter 1. 
This is how Luke starts Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He starts like this. In the first book, O Theophilus, so what would that first book be? Luke. Yeah. Okay. Just check it. In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So if you have a favorite band or a favorite author, do you ever open up to the dedication page in a book or maybe the liner notes on a CD to see who they did it for? It's like uh, my mom, my fans, my wife, Jesus, whatever it is. Luke starts both of his books dedicating them to this guy named Theophilus. I know in Acts it says, O Theophilus, like, O, O, she. But O isn't his O isn't his first name. It's not like Oprah's magazine O. Theophilus O is a term of endearment. So Theophilus and Luke might have started off as something different. By the time Acts comes around, it changes from this honorific title, most excellent, to this title of just O. It's it's deep and it's and it's friendship. So if we knew who Theophilus was, would that help us to understand the book of Luke and the book of Acts? The answer is yes, it would. But the problem is we don't really know who he was. I'll give you a couple theories in it, and I think those might help us as well. So first, uh, most excellent from Luke chapter 1 is uh, most often a title that's referred to someone of rank or honor, like a Roman official. If you grew up in like the 80s or 90s, you hear most excellent, what do you think of? Bill and Ted's, exactly. San Dimas High School Football Rocks. No, okay. All right. Socrates. Right, anyway. Uh, one of the most common theories is that, is that Theophilus was a Roman officer, high-ranking official in the Roman government. Now, another possibility is that Theophilus was a wealthy, influential man in the city of Antioch. We now have second century documents that refer to this guy named Theophilus, who was a great lord in the city of Antioch during the time of Luke. And so many scholars uh, now believe that Theophilus could have been a wealthy benefactor that supported Paul and Luke on their missionary journeys because most of the time they left from Antioch to go to other places. So providing this orderly account is, am I getting my money's worth? Yes, Theophilus, this is what happened. Uh, Paul got beat up again. We had to buy Neosporin and gauze and tape to put him back together. Thanks for the funds. Okay. Another theory that gains popularity today is that Theophilus was actually the Jewish high priest in Jerusalem because there's a high priest in Jerusalem named Theophilus ben Ananus from AD 37 to 41. And another theory, and this one is my favorite by far, is that Theophilus was the Roman lawyer who defended Paul during his trial at Rome, which is where the book of Acts is going to end. Uh, Spoiler alert, by the way. That's coming. Um, So those who like this theory, like me, believe that Luke's purpose in writing Luke and Acts both is to write this defense of Christianity. Okay, so there. So Paul's at his trial, and Luke brings these documents and of what Paul was actually doing, like a legal brief. If that theory is correct, it's designed to defend Paul in court against a charge of insurrection, and at the same time, defend Christianity against the charge that it was an illegal anti-Roman religion. That's one of the reasons why I like it. But it's this idea that even in court, these documents are coming out that are speaking of the gospel and the witness and what Jesus did. It's pretty amazing. Now, all those theories have some possibility, but what you have to understand is Luke's main point here is that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke is an historical look at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It has more historical detail than any other gospel account. Then the book of Acts paints this detailed picture of how the church and Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire. 
of the name Theophilus. It literally means loved by God and has led some early commentators to think that is referring to all Christians. Like this early monk named Beattie said this, Theophilus means lover of God or beloved of God. Therefore, anyone who is a lover of God may believe that this work of the book of Acts was written for him because the physician Luke wrote it in order that the reader might find health for his soul. What's important to understand as Luke writes the beginning to these things is he's trying to refocus us and reset us on what the purpose and the point is of not just the gospel account but also of Acts. And it is Jesus, what he did to rescue us and then sending us out into the world on mission to live for him. Acts 1, verses 1 through 3. In the first book, O Theophilus, the book of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when Luke talks about those 40 days right there, those 40 days are the days that lead up to this big Jewish feast called Pentecost. And those 40 days would be the in-between time for Jesus of when he rose from the grave and when the Holy Spirit came. And Luke says during this time, Jesus is going around giving ample proof that he actually rose from the dead. He subs the guy named Thomas. Hey, look at me, Thomas. Put your finger in the hole because you doubt. He's like, ooh, gross. But you know, it's, it's like, I'm here. Jesus constantly shows these proofs during this time. Verse 4 of Acts 1. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, not forever, just for a little bit, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, that you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus does all of these amazing things. He dies for our sin, rises from the grave. And what's their question? Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus has got to be like, what is up with you guys? You're like Christians 2,000 years from now. What is going on with you? These are some really interesting words that are being spoken here, and they kind of miss all that Jesus is saying because they're so fixated on this idea of restoring my kingdom so people think I'm great and, and wonderful. It's, it's the idea they're totally missing the point of the crucifixion and resurrection. Now, Israelites in Jerusalem, it's where Jesus told them to stay for a while, were waiting for this political leader, this, this military leader, Messiah, who would lead them in revolt against Rome. They want somebody who will not just overthrow Rome, but also clean up their temple as well, because their temple was corrupted, because it was also run by the Roman government. So they want someone to step forward and lead Israel into their perceived freedom, so it would occupy their idea of what their rightful place is in the world, and everybody would envy them. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What Jesus will go on to say is, it's not for you to know the times that the Father is setting. Just trust what God is actually doing. And he tells them, you've got to go back to Jerusalem and wait. But the Jews feel like all I've been doing for thousands of years is waiting. Mankind sinned and ran away from God. And God said, hey, a Messiah is coming in Genesis 3.15. So he promises us to Adam, then to Noah, then to Abraham, then to David, then the prophets, that I'm going to come, I'm going to restore, sins will be forgiven, my peace will return. And then the Messiah says what? Go, go and wait some more. I mean, seriously, we're, we're Americans. We hate waiting. It, we think Amazon two-day free prime shipping is too long. It's like the popcorn doesn't cook fast enough in the microwave. What's up with that? So Jesus says you have to wait, though. It's not for something, not for your Amazon prime package to arrive. What you're waiting for is someone, God himself, to come and lead and guide all of these followers in Jesus into who they were meant to be, the establishment of what the kingdom of God was really supposed to lead into. 
Now, for frame of reference, where this takes place could be as little as a week after the crucifixion. That would be just two weeks after what we call Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. When you rode on a donkey, you'd be like, I don't want to ride a donkey unless I'm going to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. But if you ride on the donkey, a donkey is for the purpose of peace. If you came for war, you'd ride on a horse. But Jesus comes in on a donkey. But people don't notice that, and they're like, aha, now's the revolution. There's the Messiah. He's going to take everybody on. And what you will see is that Jesus does not revolt, though. And it's interesting, only when it's too late for anyone to save him, only when he is in the hands of the chief priest and Pilate, when there's no chance of an army rising up to defend him, will Jesus finally ever give a definitive answer to be that Messiah. When there is no chance of his words being misinterpreted as a military figure, Jesus will finally say, yes, Pilate, I am the one they've been waiting for. I am their king. And they've all missed it. They've all missed what God is doing in their midst. But now what happens is Jesus is crucified. He rises from the grave, shows them all these proofs, and they're like, aha, Jesus has risen from the dead. This must be it. No one can kill zombie Jesus. Here we go. Here's the revolution. You're going to crush them now and give us the world, right? What does Jesus say? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. One writer says it like this, speculation about the end of the world doesn't seem interesting to Jesus. It's like it's so refreshing that Jesus is not all worried about those left behind books or anything like that. He says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You can restore the kingdom. I think Jesus is like, I did. I did. And you totally missed. And this is what the book of Acts is going to do. The spreading of the true kingdom of God throughout the world. See, they're like, what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, you have a completely different idea of what God is intending to do in the world. You're missing it. Just like a lot of us today still miss it. Acts continues this whole idea of what the gospel does in the world about a new understanding of the establishment of the kingdom of God. What Jesus promises them is restoration and mission. If you go all the way to the end of the book of Acts, which we will get to, these are the last two verses in Acts. Acts uh, 28, verses 30 to 31. And he lived there. So he being Paul, there is Rome. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The entire book of Acts, it ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God in a Gentile nation to people who were not Jews. And it starts there in Acts 1-4 in Jerusalem. Jesus says, wait for God's spirit. He will give you power, not for the purpose of making you comfortable and make you feel good. That power is going to be for the purpose of going out and being my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. That's Acts. The book of Acts is the story doesn't stay here. The story goes out from us. And what Jesus does here is he names these local areas, the surrounding areas, and then the entire world. When he says this in Judea and Samaria, it's connected by that word in and and, as if they're one place. And that is huge because they were not one place. They're not. These areas are arch enemies of each other. If you were in Judea and you had to go to the other side of Samaria, you wouldn't go through Samaria. You go around Samaria because they hate each other. And it is ethnic and deep and there's this hatred that's there. You don't want to go near those terrible people. This ethnic division is deep and profound. And Jesus says to those people who are so divided that they can't stand each other, that's where you go. So this would be like for us today, like uh, you're going to go to the liberal progressives and the Make America Great Again people. 
Whoa, how does that work? One of them's going to want to kill me. They're both going to want to kill you if you do it right. <laughs> the, you, you go to the 49ers and the Dallas Cowboys. You go to USC and UCLA. You go to Israel and Palestine. You go to uh, the gender fluid and the people who say there's only two genders. You go to both. You go to both. And we say, Jesus, you don't understand how the world works. We go to the people who agree with us, who like us, who want to be on the same page because they're going to be nice to us. And Jesus says, no, no. The Holy Spirit is going to come. And he is going to give you power. And that power is where we get the word dynamite from. And that power is to offer love and grace and hope to those who need it. Because we, 2020, we're coming into, I know it feels like it's political season forever, but 2020 is just going to be horrible. It's a presidential election year. And we're going to be so tempted to get our eyes off of the gospel and onto politics. And the only way we're going to navigate through this mess that's coming up is to be a people who live our lives in the strength of God's Spirit, focusing back upon the gospel so we speak about the good news to this world that is around us. It's the only way it's going to happen. This is why God gives us this power to bring reconciliation to the world, not division, but lifting Him up and who He is in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You will find yourself at the end of the earth with this message. It doesn't mean everybody's going to agree with you. And sometimes that message itself might even bring division. But we're not dividing over all these things. It's this is who Jesus is and this is what He did to rescue us. See, this message is for all of us, but it's not just for all of us. It's for all of us. It's for the entire world. The saving grace that we know We must share with everyone else so they would know. We are meant to be a people who live on mission. We're called to that. The life purpose of a saved person is mission. Glorifying God. Discipling one another. And we disciple one another. We see the life and the good news that God calls us into. It changes us. It reorients our lives. John Donne wrote this. Take me to you and imprison me. For I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free that when Jesus enthralls us, then we are actually free. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that means it doesn't stop in whatever your Jerusalem is. That doesn't mean, it doesn't stop in your home. It goes into your workplace and your neighborhood and all of your relationships because all people need to be reconciled to God. That grows and it expands to the ends of the earth. That is how Jesus speaks about mission and witness. It's how Luke frames the book of Acts and what the church is meant to be in the world. And now what happens at this point is Jesus will then ascend. He will ascend. And the disciples freak out about this because they're like, wait, wait, you're supposed to be here and do that job, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I'm empowering you to be my witnesses. And what he does is he ascends into heaven in front of the disciples. And this is the analogy I use every time. It's like like a kid who walks out of Chuck E. Cheese with their balloon and the wind catches it, sink, and it's all, and they're like, because that's what the disciples, they freak out. They're like, what are you doing? At least take me with you. Let this place burn. Uh, this looks too hard. Just let me go with you. And Jesus is like, no. I'm leaving. And he ascends because he leaves them to do the mission and the work with his strength and with his power, not on their own. And as they stand there looking up going, what is going on? An angel shows up to reset them. In Acts 1.11 it says, hey, men of Galilee, stop staring up there. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I mean, they're probably sitting there thinking, just take me with you. But instead, Jesus leaves his disciples to live the mission for that which he is preparing them. 
take the gospel, the good news, into the entire world. And the way that we do that is still with him in the power of his spirit. And what that means for us today is no matter what you have been through in your life, God will use that as part of his mission and witness in the world. Everything that we have been through, everything God will use as part of that mission. Now, as we went through those first 12 chapters of Acts, I think it's good for us because it detailed how the church began to overcome millennia of prejudice and hate. And again, we're going to come into a presidential season where there's going to be a lot of prejudice and hate running around. But it talks about how they began to incorporate their lives together. The only way that they can do that is by trusting in who Christ is and what he did by the power of God's spirit. And so they start to take care of each other. Do you think they agreed with each other about everything? No. But they were focused on Jesus first and the gospel. And the power of God enabled them to then come together and share that witness because who Jesus is is greater than us in our politics. It is greater than, he is greater than everything. If we are not willing to be a people who take risks, and maybe sometimes we open our mouths to speak about who he is. And yes, sometimes people will make fun of you if you open your mouth and talk about Jesus. If we're never willing to open our wallets, and this isn't a message about giving, so don't freak out, but if we're not willing to start to use our gifts, some spend some of our precious time, let it cut into our weekends, or maybe into our lifestyle, or God forbid, even our vacations at time. Not that you can't have a vacation, but cut into your vacation. We're not really listening to Jesus' directions. We're not looking at who he is and what we are called into as his people. In the book of Luke, what you see when Jesus gets baptized, the whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit show up in the midst of this. And I'm not trying to make this sound like a formula, but sometimes people will say things, I want more of God in my life. I want more of God in my life. They say this a lot. Well, I will tell you, you want more of God in your life? Live for Him in great ways on mission. It's not a legalistic thing. It's actually stepping into the power that He provides, and you live and walk with Him to where He's leading you. And you will begin to experience those things. It's as simple as that. I told you in part one of Acts that it's one thing to be a spectator and another thing to be inspired. But in Acts, they cease being just spectators. And this inspiration leads them to understand what the gospel really is. And they become empowered as a result of the gospel, of what God did. And when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses, it's not like going and watching uh, the Super Bowl or watching a basketball game and you witness all that the people are doing on the field. What it means is we now step out and we are now the witnesses of what God has done. We cease being spectators and we live on mission. In Acts, it is ordinary people who are called to share the life of God with the world around them. Ordinary people in their ordinary places doing God's work no matter where we are. We are God's representatives. And this is what we can say to everyone around us. Do you know what? The life-saving goodness of God can be real to you as well. God is going to be known to the people around us by how we live our lives. And the book of Acts kind of answers this question. Can these people do it? Does God believe normal people are more than just spectators or consumers? And the answer is yes, because God has empowered them with his spirit to share the gospel with the world. And this goes back to where we started. What is the church to be about? Mission in the world, sharing the gospel with the world that is around us. And this is the whole thing of Theophilus. You know, what do we want you to understand, Theophilus? What do all these things come back to? God's saving rescue of us. And this is the amazing thing that God calls us into this work as well. 
And this work of sharing the gospel, it's not protesting or holding signs or angry debate. In the end, it comes down to us in our life, living in bondage to maybe some sin that entangles us and being honest enough to talk about it and not hide it. And then talk about how Christ came to us, pulled us out of the hell that we put ourselves in and set us free. And now we get to be his children and live out in the world. We get to live in his spirit by being his witnesses. We, in the end, get to do what he did by proclaiming the kingdom of God in practical and real ways. We get to be his hands and feet to the world, empowered by him. Witnessing is living. It is missional and intentional. Maybe when you hear the word witness, you, you freak out and break up into cold sweats. Like, you know, because maybe someone made you go door-to-door as a kid or stand outside the mall and hand out tracks. Guys, it is not tracks. It is not stand outside the mall going, here, you know, here's your five spiritual laws. It's... it's This is, let me tell you what I have encountered, what God has done in my life to rescue me. Because that is going to be Paul's message for the rest of Acts. And that's the message of the gospel. Paul will say, this is where I was, this is where I was going, this is my understanding of the world. And God came and changed everything and steered me back towards himself in his rescue, in his hope, in his redemption of me. And that, again, will be his message. It always comes back to what Jesus did, death, burial, resurrection. But Paul's, as he talks to people, will say, this is what happened to me. And this is how my life has changed because of what Jesus did. And we as a people, when we witness, that's what we talk about. We talk about what we know, not what we don't know. And so it becomes natural and normal to begin to speak about our great rescue. And one of the reasons at Element why every week we take you to the place of communion, it's that resetting. Because many times in our, in our week, we need that resetting factor. Because with so many things happen and go on that we kind of just lose sight of who God is and what he has done to rescue us. So every week we come here. And you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine of the grape juice and it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and me. For our rescue. And it resets us to understand the gospel, God's empowering spirit then given to us so we can walk out in the world and proclaim this in practical ways. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There's going to be some uh, deacons and elders in the back, and if you need prayer, uh, maybe, again, you are someone who, when you hear the word witness, like you break out in cold sweats, like, <gasps> and you're like, I, I, you can't even get your mind around it, and you want someone to pray with you, but they'd love to pray with you about that. Because, you know, th- this whole idea of, of being witnesses to who God is, it's not hanging out on Super Bowl Sunday in the middle of, like, kickoff, and then you shut the TV off and go, now let's talk about Jesus, everybody, because that's awkward and weird, right? It is, it is natural places where you step into each other's lives. And when someone's going through something, there's maybe some great joy or some great sadness. You can step into the midst of that and talk about how God is still good, even in the midst of anything that we go through, and that God has restored relationship with us because we needed it, and we could never restore it on our own. And so our focus is always back to the, in practical, normal, real ways. We speak of what we know. And what we know, more than anything else, is our rescue. That God has come to rescue us. Not because we are so good, but because he is good. And the point of the gospel is Jesus' death and resurrection given to us. Everything else comes out of our lives is the result of that good news of God's rescue. That's what we speak of. Because God is good. And he, he's, he has come to us as a people who so often are so undeserving, and yet he loves us and brings us back to himself because of his own goodness. So let's be a people who are not afraid to speak of it in real ways, in real ways. Let's be a people who just live out our lives in joy and hope because of God's rescue of us. 
Um, there's offering boxes next to every single door we give because God gave so much to us, giving us part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's response to what God has done. There's some snacks outside. Take some sermon notes. Meet with one another and talk about what witnessing means. You know, maybe you could share your stories where someone maybe made you share the gospel at one point and you're like, I had no idea what I was doing. And, and then talk about the practical ways that that really looks like, how we live that out, especially in gospel community with one another. Again, because our God is good, and he calls us into great hope in living our lives with one another, but most importantly, with himself. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us and remind us of your rescue of us, of what the gospel truly means. That you would take and reset our focus to where it is supposed to be. Because, Father, if we're honest, it is so easy to get distracted especially in the midst of the world we live in today. And we cease to remember what you have done to rescue us. And so as we begin to go through this second half of the book of Acts, you would remind us daily of our great redemption. And in so doing, you would give us a great excitement that in that restoration, we get to be people who talk about and witness to what you've done in us. That we don't just stand on the side and, and spectate. That because of what you've done, you've placed us in the game, so to speak. That you've empowered us to live for you in practical ways in this world that reflects your goodness and your hope. So move us to be a people who trust you more than we trust ourselves, who glorify you more than we glorify ourselves, who honor you more than we honor ourselves, so that in all things, our focus would be where it is supposed to be. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for extending yourself to a people who so often run away from you. Teach us to trust you, to live in your great hope that you give. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.